We certainly appreciate that today. He's our defense, not only our Savior, our Redeemer, everything that we need in this life, we're so grateful for him. We're going to, as Brother Louis mentioned, going to have the dedication service today. Brother Daniel and Sister Jennifer will bring their little baby and we'll dedicate it to the Lord. Amen. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Thank you, Jesus. Bring them in. Bring them in. Bring the little ones to Jesus. Jesus, how we love you today. We thank you for the great gift of life. Lord, I've dedicated hundreds of babies in my life, and yet I never take one into my arms. I don't think what a miracle that life truly is. We are so grateful. Father, we thank you in the age when many people don't have time for children. They don't have time to raise them. They don't have time for them in their life. Lord, we're so thankful that there's still people who desire to be able to raise children, nurture them in the fear of God. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with little David. Dear God, may your grace be upon his life. If time should tarry, that he would be old enough to be able to make his choice of right and wrong. May his heart be tender towards you, Lord. We pray that you'd keep him from the evils, the sicknesses and diseases that are so prevalent in the day that we're living. Pray for his father, for his mother, that you would help them. We know much of what we become in life is because of the influence that we receive at home. So may you help them, Lord. Give them your leading and your instruction. We dedicate his little life to you today, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Daniel also has a need in his body of a heart condition, and the Lord knows all about that today. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we can't understand exactly how it works, but we know it's written in your word. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they shall recover. In the name of Jesus Christ, may the Spirit of God move for him today. You see this need in his heart. And Lord, we know it's no great thing for you. But I pray, Father, as we believe together as believers, that's what we do. That you would touch him right now, Lord, and make him well. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Many of you know 
Brother Jason Watkins, and um, um, Brother Jason had a few pains this week in his chest and went to a doctor, and they did all kinds of tests and finally did a heart cast. I guess it was Friday afternoon and found that one of the big, big arteries, the widowmaker as they call it, in his heart was blocked 99%. So another one was 50, another one was 20-something. So they were able to do a, a stent and um, were just so thankful to the Lord for his grace to our brother. Amen. Amen. The doctor told him it was a miracle to be alive. Uh, God's mindful of us, isn't he? He doesn't always stop difficulty and things from coming our way, but he's just mindful to be able to be there and help us whenever those things come. Uh, we certainly appreciate him for that. Love and appreciate each of you. Thank you for being here today. Brother Louis already mentioned, but we certainly want to mention um, all of those that are sick, can't be here, uh, don't feel safe yet in getting out. I've been studying the other night, and I went upstairs, and Carol was sitting at the kitchen table, and she had this whole stack of cards. I'm not exaggerating either. I mean, they was just, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm doing what you told us today. And I said, what? She said, you said send everybody a card. So let them know we, we miss them, that we thank them of them and we're praying for them. So. I imagine the post, post office lady you know, they had a heart attack and she opened our mailbox. But we want you to know that's not words. We love you and we miss you. Those of you who can't come, we want you to know we appreciate you. How we long for the day when we'll be able to gather together again. Not only in church here, but we'll all be able to gather up in Father's house. Amen. God bless you. Are you happy to be here today? It's, a, it's an honor for us. Remember, next Sunday we'll be receiving an offering for our uh, building fund. So anybody, whatever the Lord's put on your heart to do about that. Let's turn uh, in Genesis chapter 24, verse 15. Genesis 24, 15. And it came to pass before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my Lord. And she hastened and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also, until they have done drinking. How many would like to be remembered today as we pray? Just hold your request, your need in your heart. Lord Jesus, my heart was so moved as Brother Louis was reading all of those needs, all of those requests. Father, those two children, dear God, so many with sicknesses. But we know, Lord, as Brother Rob has already said, that these things create opportunities by which faith can manifest itself. Lord, then now, just all over the building, hundreds of hands are uplifted again, signifying a need, a request. Lord, you have saved millions. You have filled millions with the Holy Ghost. You've healed untold how many millions of people since you started dealing with man. And you have no less power today than what you had when you first started in the beginning. So we don't believe that we're 
overtaxing you or overwhelming our resources in you. So, Father, we bring our needs and our requests, our desires before you today. And we pray that you'd be mindful. Father, I have this prayer cost in my hand for Sister Connie Cook. Lord, you see the needs in her body, not feeling like being in church today. But she requested this prayer cost. We join together, Lord, for the needs of our sister that you would just help her. Touch her, Father. Move forward. Give her strength in her body. I know they want to be in church. Would you help her and her husband, Lord, we pray. Father, I stand here today, I'm sure, the most needy person in the building. Dear God, for a man to try to take the Bible and find things to say that would help people, knowing that I'm riddled with humanity, I have so many shortcomings and failures. Ever since I've been preaching as a boy, And I've never preached a perfect sermon and never will. But I pray somehow you would help us today. I've done the best I know to do, Lord. I've prayed, I've followed your inspiration, and I've studied. But now it takes you to help me. Help me to get out of the way, Lord. Where you could speak something that would bring courage, faith, deliverance to your children. Shut my mouth to anything that would displease you. Open our hearts to your word today, Father, would you? In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Sure love you today. Just a minute. Turn it back just a little bit. What a beautiful place we've been reading from in the scripture there. In Genesis, God allowing it to be written for our admonition, we know. Being a a type of something that God has done for many, many years and getting a bride for not Isaac this time, but for Christ. And as we mentioned a couple of Sundays ago that um, types in the Bible are not an exact reflection of when the antitype will be fulfilled, but it will be a shadow it will be a, an image of something that God conveys. You know, when the Lord Jesus was here on the earth, that he spoke, much of his words were in parables. And a parable is a story that has an earthly connotation to it using earthly words, but has a great heavenly meaning. And parables are similar to types and shadows. Um, the story here in the book of Genesis of Abraham sending his loyal servant to find a bride for his son. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, this was a custom that was very common in that day, also adapted uh, many years later uh, by the Jews, the Jewish tradition, and much of them is still uh, practiced to this very day. But we know that God chose that in order to reflect his own choice for himself. Unlike us, we have to, of course, let our children be brought upon the earth um, before we can really ever know them, before we can understand what they will be, even be able to know what type of traits and characteristics and makeup that they'll have. But our eternal Father knows every one of His children by name, by nature, by trait, by characteristic, before they ever even took the first breath of life. 
So he's able to write his book and make his plans before there was ever a man, before there was ever anybody lost in God's mind, there was a cross. Before there was ever a man, God had a plan. Before there was ever a need for a savior, it was a plan already in his mind for the great work of redemption and salvation. So whenever we look at Eliezer, being that it was a type, it's somewhat different than for us today. Eliezer was able to go and find the bride for Isaac. He left the very next day after he found her. He went through all of the ritual that was required of him. Uh, But unlike uh, him, ministers today and for the last 2,000 years rather, they have not been able to bring that bride into a place of betrothal or espousal and take her directly into the presence of God. But after the betrothal of the gospel, then it may be decades. It may be a lifetime. And then it may be that they will spend uh, 1,500 years, as we would measure on the earth, or 1,000 years, as we would measure on the earth, after death in the sixth dimension, before they would ever be able to really be presented as the bride. Now, because it was a type, Eliezer was able to get that bride, watch over her himself. Now, he had 10 camels with him. He had servants. He had bodyguards, had all types of people that were with him. So they were able to get Rebecca and head the very next day on the journey to meet Isaac. Now, it's about a month's journey, so 30 days. So they watched over her day and night. He took food, had water, had everything that she would need for the journey. But like myself being a pastor, like Paul being a prophet, like the prophet of our age, we don't have the ability after that we have betrothed someone to Christ to take them immediately into his presence. And Satan learned this well years and years ago in the Garden of Eden. He saw that God had done something of a divine origin and purpose. In when he backed the woman and the man together there in the Garden of Eden, and God took her prior to this instance out of Adam's own body. And God went inside of Adam's spirit and separated the feminist traits and characteristics and qualities and placed it inside this body that he took out of Adam's body. It was a byproduct, and God then brings them together, and actually we know that marriage is the oldest institution in the world. It's why Satan to this very day hates it the way he does. It's why he makes fun of the real true marriage of what God ordained in the Bible. That's right. You know, it's not so much that many of the people of the world even know what they're doing. They're only human instrumentality to the purpose of Satan. Satan hates God, he hates God's program, he hates what God does, is that right? And he hates the very institution of marriage, so he ridicules it, he makes fun of it, he does everything he can. Can you imagine, we're living in a day when people will marry a pizza, when people will marry 
their car. They will marry their pet. Imagine marrying a dog. Well, for some people, I, I, I find that's not too bad far off, you know. Uh, some dogs, I think, got more sense than humans do. Some people marry a cat and make their cat their heir, and they have millions of dollars and leave it to that cat. You're talking about dumb. Now, look, friends, I know I ain't very smart, but I'm, I'm glad I got more sense than that. But why would Satan do such a thing? Because he hates God's institution of marriage. Now, notice in Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two, that Paul says, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have, past tense, espoused you to one husband that I may present you. Now notice the, the espousal is past tense. It was already done. But the presentation he laid in the future. Now he said, I already have espoused you, but he says that I may, which means possibly. I may possibly present you. An espousal is not a definite presentation. Now Paul takes this again from the book of Genesis and Paul knows that he's in a very, very precarious situation as the church age messenger that God gave him the word of espousal to be able to preach along with Peter and James and John and the rest of the brethren. But yet you don't find Peter making this himself saying that he had espoused the people or James or John but yet Paul recognized his position as the church age messenger, that God had given unto him certain understandings about the word that Peter simply did not have. As a matter of fact, Peter said that our beloved brother Paul writes many things that's hard to be understood. Is that right? Now yet Peter walked with Jesus, he fished with Jesus, all that sort of thing, but Peter was able to recognize his position was one under the church age messenger. Any God called man of this messenger recognizes that. And a preacher that don't recognize that, don't you give him the time of day because he's a false prophet and a liar. Any preacher that tries to exalt himself above the prophet of God, you just leave him alone and run from him like he's got the plague. That's right. Because every God called man will recognize his place in the protocol of God and that is in the divine order. Now, Paul knows that the bride of, of that day of the first church age is also in a very precarious situation because he enters into this word, and I told you, I think it was last Sunday, that the Greek word that Paul used for jealousy is the type of jealousy that a husband would have for his wife, which is very unusual, that a prophet would say that about a bride. But the Lord Jesus actually allowed Paul not only to enter into the burden of those that are lost, 
and not only the burden of those that were sick, but he let him share a burden of a jealous husband. Now this is not human jealousy, because human jealousy, a man will take a gun and kill another man if he does anything you know, that's not appropriate toward his wife. But God does not have such jealousy, so this is a divine jealousy, and Paul was not jealous because he was afraid some of them might like to hear Peter preach more than him. That's human jealousy. But he was jealous in so much that something might come between them and the Lord Jesus. Now, this letter, 2 Corinthians, was written around 60 AD. So by now, the church is almost 30 years old, and Paul has been preaching for several decades. Paul has already been through uh, all types of whippings and, and stripes, and he was uh, into the depths of the sea. He was in shipwrecks. He was among false prophets, among false brethren. He had been beaten. He had been in and out of jail. So he had been through so many things had already dealt with all types of church problems of women that wanted to preach, of false prophets that wanted to lead the people away from the word. And Paul's jealousy that he has is that the false prophets, which are now already among the believers, they are under the anointing of the Antichrist, and even though Paul never used the term Antichrist, but he preached the theory of Antichrist. You see, that's something that people don't understand about a prophet. They think that a prophet goes around and quotes it verbatim. Paul never used the word antichrist, but he preached antichristism. But he never used the word. Is that right? John was the one who used the word, not Paul. But yet Paul preached against the antichrist without using that word. Now, Paul knew that the false prophets had already uh, set out, and we know that Satan always follows the pattern of God. Satan isn't the original missionary. But what he will do is watch what God does and God will send his people through and they will begin to establish the works of the gospel. Then Satan will follow right in behind them and try to pervert or twist or warp that gospel message. So he is an impersonator of the truth. Now the church at Corinth, which is a very wicked, sinful city, and we can see a great growth from the time that we read in 1 Corinthians by the time we read 2 Corinthians, and there was a great growth in the church and God had done some tremendous things for them. But they were not exempt from their humanity. And they were still liable to be held responsible to the word and to keep their virginity to Christ the word. Now this is what he's warning them about, that they have been espoused. And it was the same with Eve in the Garden of Eden, that Eve and Adam had been joined together by word, by vow, as we would say, but their marriage had not yet been consummated. And it would not be consummated until the time that God would speak to Adam and tell him thus. So she was his wife in a sense, but in one sense, physically knowing her, he had not yet become, she had not yet become his wife in that sense. So Satan found her, and he found this, this virgin woman, and he found her in the Garden of Eden alone, and of course we know the rest of the story. So since he did that, he's been doing the exact same thing in every church age. He done Israel the same way in every generation of the Old Testament that God would give every generation of Israel their own chance at a revival. Thank God he does us the same way. 
So Paul knows that after people have been espoused, actually people enter into the, uh, the espousal or the betrothal in different stages. Some come quite quickly. After they come to the Lord Jesus and they actually enter into the mikvah, which was a, an immersion in water, and they become sanctified and they enter into that spot. And we know that the man would never take the woman to be his wife until she had been immersed which is the same Greek word that we use for water baptism. It was, the Hebrew word was the mikvah, and it was a ritual bath, and the woman would go down inside the water. Now, the, the husband was not allowed in there because they didn't believe in mixed bathing, neither do we. So it was not the man and the woman and the grandpa and the uncle and aunt, but the bride had to go inside there herself. You see, your mama cannot get sanctified for you. And your daddy cannot be sanctified for you. But every individual must go into the mikvah, which is the ritual bath. What does that do? It brings a cleansing or a sanctification. Now, for some of them, they entered into it pretty early, and they would have actually been considered to be betrothed or espoused to the bridegroom. But even that is not the seal of the living God. That simply means that they are willing to accept the Lord Jesus, or so they say, and they're willing to enter into the marriage covenant. And they say, I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, my King. I will obey you. I will do this and this and this and this. And then they come through a stage of justification sanctification and then they are awaiting the life of the bridegroom to come inside them and seal their womb where no seed can enter in. But Paul knows that the majority of the people here of this day, for many of them, they are still in that period in between the betrothal and the Lord Jesus knowing them. Watch this how he refers to this in verse three. But I fear Now, wait a minute, why in the world would he fear if engagement is the seal? Why would the prophet of God of that age fear if them becoming betrothed and engaged that they were sealed? Now, you see, this is where a lot of the message folks do err because they think they have heard the voice of God through the prophet messenger and they believe that they call themselves bride and they are spouse and they are betrothed and they feel like because of that, they have eternal security. That doesn't line up with the scripture, my friends. You see, your security is not just because you agree to do this or that or the other. It's when your soul is sealed to the day of redemption. Now Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve. Oh my goodness. So we're talking about here, he is relating to an espoused bride that he wants to present. And then what does he go back to? The very first woman in the Bible. Why? Because it's a perfect type of the West. The very first woman in the Bible was given to her husband, come out of her husband's body, given to her husband for fellowship and reproduction. But before he could reproduce himself through her, the serpent already found her. Now, Paul realizes this and he says, I fear lest by any means, which would be, it began with her mind and then Satan stepped into the soul of unbelief. Then he, of course, took her body. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. 
So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, unlike Eliezer, Paul is not going to be able to take those espoused people directly into the presence of God or into heaven. And within a week or 10 days or 30 days, whatever it was, they would be physically presented to the Lord Jesus. Now, he knows apparently that he is not going to live to see the coming of the Lord. So he warns the people of that time frame and also us as well to let us know that there will be more that will come. There will be perilous times and there will be false prophets and they will arise and deceive many. So as the bridegroom's friend, Paul feels this this eagerness to warn the Corinthian church that Satan is going to try to take false prophets and all types of different means to pull them away from their newfound union to the Lord Jesus. What Paul wants to do is to present them to the bridegroom of souls. Listen carefully. To the bridegroom of souls. Now, Satan is not the bridegroom of souls. Satan is the bridegroom of destruction to his wife. He is a bridegroom. But he is not the bridegroom of souls because he never made one soul and he cannot make one to this day. But he is a bridegroom that looks for a church and he has one. But Paul wants the people to be able to be a spouse to the bridegroom of souls and then so fall in love with him that that he will be able to present them at that day. Now, when will that take place? In the great resurrection, because Paul will walk there with the believers of his age, and he will make the presentation. So the false teachers were already disturbing the minds of those that Paul had betrothed to the Lord Jesus. Now, for those that were sealed with the Holy Ghost, he did not have to worry about them because they had already received the seal of God on their soul. Their body might be troubled, their mind might be troubled, but he would never be able to gain entrance. But as in that church, as in our church, as in every other church, you've got some that have the Holy Ghost and some that don't. Those that don't have the Holy Ghost are the ones that you worry about because they will get sidetracked and they'll listen to this teaching or that teaching and they'll pull off a little over here and a little over there and before long, the word is no longer pure and the word becomes devalued in their own heart. That's right. Remember, Satan uses the same tactic in every age, and that is to try to take away the value of the promised word, and the people allow him to do so. So Paul is afraid that the believers who are there, are they believers? Yes. Are they espoused? They are. But remember the book of Revelation whenever John was writing there, and he said that, uh, that the title had moved from bride alone, and he said his wife has made herself ready. So something had happened inside some of these people and they were no longer under the title of a spouse bride. You see, when Joseph was uh, going to put away Mary and the angel of the Lord appeared in, in, in a dream and said, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, he had not yet known her, but yet the angel of God identified her as his wife. In reality, she was his bride. 
But something must have happened in Mary's heart, not in her body, but in her heart that the angel of God would actually identify her as being his wife. Now you see it was a spiritual something that she had joined so to Joseph and kept herself. What if that was so in the natural realm? What about the invisible union to the bride of Jesus Christ? So we don't want just to be bride. You understand? We don't want, well, I'm bride, I'm bride, I'm bride, I'm bride. Now I'm not trying to refute that. I'm not trying to say that is bad. But if you are just bride and you have not entered into that invisible union with the Lord Jesus to where we are not going to the wedding, we're going to the wedding supper. Why? Because an invisible union has already taken place on this earth by the Spirit of God. So false teachers were coming in and they were getting among the people and they were trying to pull away the purity and the simplicity of what Paul had taught. And he said, I'm jealous over you with this godly jealousy for I have espoused you to one husband that I may possibly present you in the future to Christ as a chaste virgin. Here it means, Paul using the word that I have espoused, it is to marry to present you, to be employed in forming a connection. I thought this was amazing. The Greek word there actually means, I have fitted you as things are pieced together or glued together or soldered. So I have fitted you. I've put you together. I've molded you. Now think of this, that the gospel through the church age messenger had not only brought them to a place of salvation, but molded their character, their their makeup, their humanity, their shortcomings, all of that, to where it could be joined together with a glue, which was the spiritual union formed by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So they were soldered. Those of you that solder, you understand what you do. You take a soldering iron it has to be a certain temperature and it has to be a a material that can be soldered together depending on whether it's aluminum or copper or whatever you're doing and you take it together and then you take those pieces and you merge them together with heat and those two separate pieces actually become one unit. And Paul was saying that I have, by the grace of God, been able to solder your hearts together. But he's still worried. He's still worried. Why? Because the soldered pieces, unless they've entered into that invisible union, can still be broken or severed or tore apart. Watch this in Hosea chapter two, verse 19. God said, I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. And I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I don't know. Now notice then God is speaking of the day coming by which there will be a betrothal betrothal of a certain people on the earth and they will not be betrothed just on if you will, I will. God knows that man cannot keep a covenant. It's just not in him. It's not in him to keep a covenant. He will break it every time. So God started after dealing with the patriarchs of old, dealing with Abraham on an unconditional covenant. Not if you will, I will, but I already have. 
Now here the covenant is going to be further expanded to the Gentiles under the grace dispensation. And notice the words here that God says, the betrothal is going to be in righteousness, in judgment, in loving kindness, in mercy and faithfulness. How in the world can we ever do that? There's only one way it can be done. It must be done not on a reciprocating part of the humans alone, but it must be a decreed command of God that I decree this, I betroth you to myself in loving kindness. So it's not depending on us because we've all failed it. I told that when you was lost. I'm talking about since you got saved. Is that right? Now, notice then God must also do it this way. I'll quote this to you Wednesday night. In Leviticus 21.10, speaking about the high priest. He that is the high priest among his brethren, whose, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. Neither shall he go into any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Neither shall he go into the, out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the crown of the anointing oil of his God is upon him, I am the Lord. He shall take a wife in her virginity. A widow or a divorced woman or profane or an harlot, these shall he not take. But he shall take a virgin of his own people to wife. Now remember the Lord Jesus is the high priest. How in the world is he ever going to take us to be his wife and our virginity when we were born lost. And we were born married. And our first husband that had the first rule over us was our nature. And when we took the breath of life, we were born lost, we were born in that sad, pitiful state that we were in. How is he ever going to be able to take us and make us a virgin? He must bring forth a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us, for if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation or a new creature. And the prophet goes on to tell us he's a new creation in the same old house or the same old temple. But there's a part of you was never married to sin, never married to the devil, and never married to your old nature. Aren't you glad for that? Now that is the part that becomes born again. It comes through the process, the very simple process that the prophet gave to us and was like this, that you go out in the barnyard and you find a glass. When you go out there in the barnyard and you reach down and you pick up that glass. Now that glass is laying there, it's laying in the barnyard, it's got dirt, cow manure, chicken manure, hay straw, whatever types of bacteria, it'd be awful, you know, uh, being laying out there in the barnyard. So somebody comes down and they reach down by justification, they raise up that glass. Now that glass is still dirty, that glass is still filthy, and furthermore, the glass is still empty. So whenever that individual reaches down and picks up that glass, that individual takes a portion of the uncleanness of the glass upon his or herself. Is that right? So here they, they pick up and there was dirt, dirt or you know, whatever more, there would be cow manure on the sides or whatever more, and they reach right down and take that into their hand. They take the filth of that glass upon themselves. But nobody in the right mind would take that glass in the house and set it down on the table and pour your favorite beverage in it. 
If you do, there's something wrong with you. You wouldn't pour your milk or your Dr. Pepper or water or whatever you drink, but that glass has started in the process. And you see, this is where many people have the concept that that is the new birth. That is not the new birth. The Lord Jesus simply offers you a way out of the muck of sin that you were in. And he offers you deliverance from that. He reaches down and takes you unto himself and takes your sin upon himself. It's very, very simple, but it's very profound. Then what happens? Then you, sisters, your brothers, whoever more, would take the glass into the house. And then you would turn on your water faucet. Some of you might start outside with a garden hose first. Depends on how finicky you are. Anyway, you're going to wind up in the house. Now, you're going to run water, maybe rinse it over three or four times, and you put Dawn or your favorite dishwashing detergent in there, and you go to running your hand down in it, and you're washing it, and you're looking at it and holding it up, and you know, you just can't bear to stand to think the thoughts of drinking milk out of that glass. So you let that water go out, and all the debris in the sink goes out with it and then you run some clean water and you wash it again. So you wash it by the water of the word and you're, you're sanctifying it and you're getting it clean and finally after the second time or the third time, depends on how picky you are, that you'll finally set that glass up and maybe you'll hold it up to the light. Yeah, oh, it looks so good. Looks so good. So you take the dish towel and you dry it out. You get all the spots saved, sanctified, still empty. Now that glass could sit there and say, glory to God. I like to give a testimony. I like to say I ain't what I used to be. I'd like to say I ain't what I was. I'd like to say I'm so clean. I am so washed. I am so changed. But I am still so empty. A justified, sanctified person can really, really have a lot of changes about them, but it still don't mean they got the Holy Ghost. Now, it comes up to the spot to where that you feel that this glass is ready to receive something. So you go get your favorite beverage, whatever it is, and you will pour it in that glass. Then you take that glass, which you would have never done in the barnyard. You will take that glass. You will put your beverage inside of that. Then you will take your hand. You will join yourself to that glass. You and that glass become one for a moment. And you will press that glass against your mouth. I hope that Gatorade bottle's clean. (laughs) Now that glass becomes the instrument that ministers back to you. So you are watering the power that cleans you up. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. You are watering that power that sets you free. Then you become the very channel of God by which now he will reach out to others. Now that is the process of the new birth, justification, sanctification, true baptism of the Holy Ghost. The mikvah is not enough. Now notice this, Paul is so afraid that the espoused, betrothed bride will somehow lose those principles of faith. 
They will get away from that which God. Now this proves, friends, that he's not convinced that some of them are sealed with the Holy Ghost. So the espousal has already taken place, but the presentation is not yet sure. Well, Brother Donnie, when will it be? The rapture and the resurrection will be the physical presentation whenever we meet our Lord Jesus in the air. Now watch this in the second seal. The bride of Christ has started on the day of Pentecost with the early apostolic church lost the same thing at the Nicaea Council. Lee, you know that's right. It's at the Nicaea Council when she swapped her spiritual birthrights to take Constantine's big churches and things that he offered them there. And she sold out her scriptural birthrights for a bunch of Roman dogma. Notice she lost her birthright. Before her husband got to her, before the wedding, she lost her virtue. Now, this again, for many of them, remember, those on the day of Pentecost in the upper room received the seal of the living God. But there was 3,000 that was saved on the outside and added to the church that day. And the Bible don't say nothing about them getting the Holy Ghost. You see, the prophet of God tells us that that Antichrist move started on the very day of Pentecost. Where was it? On the outside of the upper room. Where's the Antichrist around our message? On the outside of the upper room. Because you see, no true son or daughter of God that's really been born again of the Holy Ghost will ever add to or take away from the word of God for the age they're living in. But it's those who are gathered around the move, but they're outside the upper room. Friend, if you're outside, please come in while there's mercy. Now, notice how Paul picks this up as well into the stage of sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Fornication. Now, the, the Corinthian people, the Ephesian people, the Corinth was a port city. Uh, Ephesus also being a very rich city. Uh, it housed the great temple of Diana. People come there from around the world. And it was a horrible, horrible place to live. Uh, and many of the saints of God, this was their background. And many of them were still being washed away from these things. I don't know if you know it or not, but First and Second Timothy was actually written to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, which was Timothy. So Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesian church. And Paul felt in his heart, he had already written a letter to the Ephesians, which is a great letter. But sometime it expired after that, and Paul felt the need in his heart to write to the pastor of that church and to tell them that some of the women at the Ephesus church were still wanting to preach a little bit. And Paul had to write to who? To the pastor and said, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to assert authority over a man. And then he went on into other things about the hair and the gold and the silver and so on. Why? He is now addressing this letter to the pastor of the church so the pastor then in turn can be able to expound it to the believers. Now this great church, the Ephesian church, my, that was one of the deepest churches in the New Testament. When you read the, the letters to Timothy, you realize they had their problems just like the Corinthian church did. So they also needed to be addressed. But instead of Paul rewriting another book to them, he addressed these letters to the pastor of the church and then the pastor would come and deal with them accordingly. 
I love God's way, don't you? Notice then in verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now what a great thing this is, that the Lord Jesus reaches down and picks us up, and he washes us and he cleans us, and then he, he fills us with his life, but then he leaves an element of this up to us that we must learn how. Isn't it amazing? Notice how he wears this. Every one of you should know how, know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So it's not something that the Lord does and we just do whatever we want to do from that point on. You can smoke and drink and lie and run around and just live any way you want to live. You'll go to hell like that because there's something we must know how to possess our vessel. This is your land. This is your part of the earth that God has given you as he gave the children of Israel their portion of their land and God wants you to bring this portion of your land into sanctification. And you will actually not just endure it, but you will possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. So it's not an attitude of resentment. Oh, I'm gonna quit this, but I hate to. I'm gonna quit that, but I really don't want to. No, it will be in sanctification and honor. Notice this in verse five. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Now what happens is that the washing from the soul begins from the inside out. What's in 1 Corinthians 6, 10. Paul said, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And the church said, Amen. Oh, but I really like this verse 11. And such were some of you. So you mean he's preaching to people who were thieves, were covetous, were drunkards, were revilers, were extortioners. But they ain't no more. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Lutron, you are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So notice the stages now that Paul says that ye are washed. So somebody had to take them to the sink and wash them out. But ye are sanctified. I love this word. Hallow be holy to separate from profane things and dedicate to God to consecrate, to purify. You see, this is what the bride and the groom, whenever they would enter in and agree together in the ketubah or the marriage contract, that they would say, I will you sanctify, be sanctified unto me. And the bride would say, yes. And then the groom, will you be sanctified to her? Yes. Now, when they said that, they were saying, I will be with no other men. I will be with no other women. I am sanctified to you. In other words, I belong to you. And I will not be flirting with any other men. I will not be seen with any other men. You could not draw me under a hoop of another man. I will not be in the bed of one, the closet with one, the kitchen with one. I will not be in an appropriate place. Praise the Lord. And they sanctified themselves. So if they got into a situation that a man come up around them, what would they do? Let him know I am engaged.
I am espoused. Well, to that man, if he had any character about him at all, he would treat you then as an espoused woman. But this was something that they must do. This must now be their profession. I am washed. I am sanctified. I am hallowed. I'm set aside for the Lord Jesus. This is why we don't do the things that many church people do. We are sanctified for the Lord Jesus. Notice, but ye are justified. Now, then the part that comes into this is the mikvah. Uh, Notice this, it is the immersion or the mikvah signified the passing of the old and the forthcoming of the new. So the person had to be washed. Now, listen to me. Even before going into the marriage contract, the bride would enter into the mikvah. But definitely before the bridegroom's call would come out, she was sensing it was getting close. Maybe her neighbor went by her new future home and told her the house is getting really close. And then the the decoration on the outside, all the landscape and everything, it must really be getting close. So the bride, when she would begin to hear these things, she would start getting ready. And she would start, amen. She would start taking these baths. Hmm. You see, this new person must be completely washed and loosely identified with the world will never be married to the groom. Watch this in Exodus 19 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the Lord to the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow Well, Lord, notice, and let them wash their clothes. Now, I hope you understand this. Do you realize the majority of the children of Israel had one change of clothes? When they left the land of Egypt, they never brought suitcases with clothes in them. They had one change of clothes. Even after many of them moved into the land, many of them never had multiple changes of clothes. So for them to wash their clothes was a great significance. God is now going to come down and join into a betrothal covenant, a ketubah, with the children of Israel. And God demands a mikvah. So there ain't no telling how long it's been since some of them washed them clothes. Now, they had one change. They're out in the desert. They're going through sandstorms. They're going through all kinds of things. They went through the Red Sea. They went through all my, all of the difficulty that they've been through. And God said, this will not work. I want you to take a bath. Well, to them, when they heard this from the prophet of God, they not only washed their clothes, but they washed their bodies as well. Now, notice God said, sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. So this injunction of sanctification involves a natural washing on the outside, but God wants a symbolism for them to reach it as well, that it's something within them, that this is not just another day. This is just not going up to another mountain kind of a day, but they're fixing to enter into a covenant. 
You see, the washing of the clothes was an outward symbol of an inward change that they were supposed to be testifying about, that they were going to be the wife of Jehovah. He had never had one. So they're going to bathe their bodies in water and also their clothes. Now think about this, friends. They didn't have shower stalls. They never had bathtubs. They never had Motel 6s where they could check in and take a shower and check out. Can you imagine two and a half million people trying to find enough water to take a bath? Not only that, but a laundromat to wash their clothes. Wonder where all this water come from. You see, the whole tribe of Israel is now going into a union with Jehovah. But before they will hear his voice, the friend of the bridegroom carries out the message of the groom himself. And he said, tell them to take a bath. Well, if God told the children of Israel to take a bath, I wonder what he'd tell these bunch of Laodiceans. But you know what Laodicea did? She refused her bath water. Now, God told Moses before the priest ever entered in to be anointed with the anointing oil. Though it's a divine protocol by which they had to go through. Now, some of them might wanted to go and be anointed first and, and get their bonnets and get all this and that and the other, but that ain't what God said. God told Moses, I want you to give Aaron and his sons a bath. So the ministry had to be washed by the prophet before they could ever serve the people. Now I realize I got a lot of preachers today that want to bypass that washed by the prophet of God. You'll wind up going straight to the tribulation period if you ain't clean. That's right, God had a protocol. Can you imagine how many times that Aaron had took a bath? You, you look and say, Aaron, Moses, are you kidding me? Do you think I don't know how to take a bath? I am your older brother. I've been giving myself baths. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a few. And you, who do you think you are that you're going to give me a bath? Aaron, God told me to tell you. I want scripture for it, Moses. He was the scripture. Look, friends, a prophet of God is not a commentator. A prophet of God receives the word of God. A prophet of God has the ability by God to divinely interpret that which is written and receive, even according to the Amplified in Ephesians 4, receive a new message from God. Oh my. Now watch, they are going to be washed into their new sacred privileges. (laughs) They're going to be immersed into their new covenant. Watch this in Exodus 19, 11. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Now notice, unlike the pagan ways of worship, the pagans believed their gods lived in the mountains. But God was different than their pagan ideas. God wanted them to know he didn't live in the mountain. He lived in heaven. But he's going to come down to the mountain for their sake. That's right. 
He dwells amongst great angelic hosts. Notice this, Paul, he also picks it up in Ephesians 5, and we know that there was a great blast from heaven, so it was the, the symbolism of the shofar. But it was an angelic horn, trumpet, that began to blow, and it started out real low, and the volume kept getting higher and higher and higher, and it got so loud that the people covered their ears the trumpet of God was so loud and the spirit of God started descending upon the mountain in a cloudy pillar and the mountain started shaking and trembling and quivering. What's God doing? Vindicating his prophet. God said, when I do this, they'll believe you forever. Now God is fixing to be united in the Old Testament sense to the children of Israel and who's standing between him and the bride? The friend of the bridegroom. Moses, the friend of God. What's Paul in Ephesians 5.25? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it. Notice after the washing comes the presentation that he might present it to himself, a church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How is it that you don't have spots and wrinkles when you and I both know we have them on our lives every day that we live on the earth? Because we have a constant washing. I'm so glad I've got a place to take a bath. Praise be to God. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Can anybody say amen to that? Not according to works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing. Ah, renewing. Renewing of the Holy Ghost. Look at all these re's that we're looking at. Regeneration and renewing. What is regeneration? Regening. So you had a regening, and then you had a renewing. Hope you can understand that seal of God on your soul, that portion of the Holy Ghost was yours before there was ever a molecule. Praise be to God. It was simply God uniting this attribute in your body was that attribute in his body. Amen. Before the foundation of the world, and it was a regening and a renewing of your new image into the presence of God. Notice Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, when we accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior and we enter into this verbal contract, Lord, I'll serve you. Lord, I'll live for you. He knows there probably ain't a person sitting right here that didn't break that been promises. Probably you made it to day three, maybe day five for some of you. Some of you might have been miraculous and made it to day four, but he knows it's not in man. It's my, my, how many times have I stood here and married a young couple and I'll say, repeat these words after me. Do you, Charles, promise to take Annie to be your lawful wedded wife? Life. Will you live together after God's holy ordinance in the holy estate of matrimony? Do you promise to do this and this? And oh, I will. Stars in their eyes. Oh, mother, just so lovey dovey. But it's amazing how hard some of those promises are to keep. 
Well, praise the Lord. You see, Israel is now going to enter into that legal betrothal. But watch, let me kind of go a few minutes further. Now, not only did Israel enter into the betrothal with God, but God on his own desire gave them an administration by which they would be able to be administered to on this journey now as they're going to the promised land. And that was a priesthood. We know, of course, God chose Levi. Notice then in Exodus chapter 30, verse 18, and thou shalt make a laver of brass, and his foot also shall be of brass. Once you notice what designation or gender is given to the laver. Thou shalt make a laver of brass, and his foot shall be of brass, to wash with all, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. So between the tabernacle and the altar is the brazen laver. Now what's amazing about this, that Moses is so meticulous in the, the dimensions and measurements of all these other things, and when God speaks to him about the laver, he doesn't tell him what shape, we don't know if it's conical. We don't know if it was an egg shape. God never even told him the shape nor the size. God never told him the height, the width, the depth, all the other things that God said. So it shows us then that God is not focusing so much necessarily on whether it was an oblong or what the shape was, but the very purpose that it served. Now, so the outside goat, here they come into the door and the first thing they see is what? The altar. The altar, not the altar of incense, but it is the altar of sacrifice or the brass altar. Now, the very next piece is what? The brazen laver before they go in further into the presence of God. So between the tabernacle and the altar is the laver situated where at? In the exact same court. What's it typifying? The elements by which the new births will be introduced years and years later. Water, blood, and spirit. So the altar was the first thing, which was what? Blood. What was the next thing? Water, which was the laver. What was the next thing going beyond that? Entering into life. So the, the altar speaks of salvation, but the brazen laver speaks of sanctification or purification. Watch this in Exodus 30, 19. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. The laver is for the priest cleansing for worship. So the laver also, of course, being a type of Christ, cleansing us from defilement and from every spot or every wrinkle. Now they've already made peace at the brazen altar. How in the world do they need to wash their hands and their feet? Because in all this service of going around and all the sacrifices, all that they went through, here was a turtle dove, a pigeon, an ox. Can you imagine slaying all them animals? The blood was coming out. They would have had blood on their hands. They'd have had blood on their feet. And they were to go barefooted. The barefoot was not stepping on nice carpet like we have here today. It was not even a pavement of stone, but it was simply dust. So everywhere they went, they were walking back and forth and back and forth, and they were doing all this with the sacrifice. And whenever they would come up to this, they'd look at their hands, and there was blood, and there was dust. They would look at their feet, and that blood had dripped on their feet and their toes, and it mixed up with dust. How could they go into his presence looking like that? So God says, after you're saved, you're going to need a laver for the rest of your life. And you're gonna need it every day. Now, you won't need to take an entire bath 
in this labor. So this is not something now that they had steps up going into and they would jump inside this labor and take another bath that done been washed by the prophet. But all they're supposed to wash at this labor is their hands and their feet, their doings and their goings. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. And when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water, that they die not. Oh, brother, this is very serious. You see, even if they accepted the blood sacrifice at the brass altar, and they refused to be washed by the water of the laver, they died right there in the outer court. John said, any man that says he has no sin is a liar. Notice in verse 21, so they shall, notice they shall wash their hands and their feet. And this is the reason that they die not. And it will be a statute forever to them, even to him and his seed throughout their generation. So when we trust the Lord Jesus and we have a true genuine repentance, we are washed all over. Oh, think of it. Every lie, every time you ever done anything wrong, totally eliminated from you but you live in a smutty, black, filthy world. And here you are in this white wedding garment. You can't even go through a drive-thru without being defiled, hardly. You can't even check out your groceries at the grocery store without some type of image being on some type of magazine. Have you noticed in the last few years, you can't even go grocery shopping without rock and roll music playing on, on the speakers. You think, what in the world has that got to do with buying maters and taters? Don't you understand what it's doing? It's getting people ready for the tribulation period. I don't know about you. I need washing every day of my life that I live. I need that continual washing. Thank God that we have got a place in Christ Jesus, Mother Dow, that we can get our hands washed and our feet washed. Notice in St. John 13, 8, this might help some of you understand. The washing of our hands and our feet, if we want to enjoy fellowship with the Lord. The Lord Jesus now is coming up to Peter. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou wast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not only my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. So the underlying imagery, remember they did not have bathrooms in their houses the way you and I do, but they had public bathhouses. The disciples would have taken two baths prior to this service. So they were very familiar. They would have went to the public bathhouse there in Jerusalem. And a couple of days before this, they would have taken two baths according to the Jewish ritual tradition. And the Lord Jesus right with them. But when they come out of there, they would have walked with sandals with no closed toes and they would have got their feet dirty again. And Jesus said, whenever you get saved, it's not like you've got to get saved again and again and again and again and again, but you will get your feet dirty when you walk from the bathhouse back to your job or back to your home 
or back to here, back, you understand? So it was a significance in that he's showing a great mystery of the man that has been bathed is already clean, but he will get his hands and his feet dirty every day he's out there. Oh, children, don't you love it when you're able to go to the Lord in prayer and you lay down at night and the last one you speak to, I hope, is the Lord Jesus. And you say, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy to me. Lord, cleanse me of anything I've done wrong today, anything I've said, anything I've done. That way, you know what? If your eyes don't open up again, but they awake in that sixth dimension, you're ready. Praise be to God. So the dust of the road in this daily journey that we're in, we need to be re-cleansed, not regenerated every time. Oh, Brother Donnie, I made a mistake. Will you pray for me? I'll get resaved. How many times do you have to be resaved? Get saved once, right, the first time. You won't have to get saved again. Christ cannot have communion with a defiled saint. Let me close with this. I know I've said a lot and I've said it fast, but go back and listen to it again if you need to. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me close with this simple phrase. Wash before you worship. Yes. Amen. Hey, you boys, and if you use a little, your mom would say, go wash your hands. Your mom ever tell you that? Wonder why most of us boys didn't want to wash hands. Right. Uh, I see it's written on some of y'all's face, some of your wives have to do you men that way now, don't they? Some of you boys ain't never grown up. <laughs> Jimmy, go wash your hands. Lord have mercy, you've been out there in the mulch. I had an uncle, and whenever he was a little fella, he hated baths. So my, my mom, my grandmother, we called her mom, she said, Milton, go take your bath and wash your hands. She said, Mom, I just oshed yesterday. That's what some of y'all are about the water. Weather. I just oshed last week. I oshed Easter. I oshed Christmas. You should have asked before you walked in them doors back there. You want to know why some of you feel dirty? You want to know why you can't get into the service? You don't wash before worship. Amen. We need to wash before worship. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wash before worship. Oh, my. What an honor it is to be called into the presence of Almighty God. I remember as a little boy when he reached down there in that barnyard and got me. Just 12 years old, so I didn't have a whole lot of sin to my life. I didn't need to add a whole lot more. I was born lost. Just as lost as I could be. So he reached down and picked me up and pulled me out of that. Started on my journey. I'm still on my journey today. Lord, let's me and Carol live. We'll be 65 here in a few months. 
I'm not sure how much longer I have in this life. But I know this. I'm so glad that I have a lever, Christ Jesus, which I can go to and wash my hands and wash my feet thereat. I love the blood. I'm so grateful for the blood. But how I appreciate the washing of the water by the Word. I wonder how many of you Christians that need forgiveness for all kinds of things that you got saved and give your heart to God. Of course, all of us have. Aren't you glad you've got a laver? Now, we don't know exactly how it was made, but there must have been a spigot or something there by which they would have been able to tap it or kick it. The details aren't really enclosed. Blood, dirt, whatever more. And they would have tapped it with their foot or bumped it with their hand. All of a sudden, the spigot would have come open and the water would have come down and it started washing. Oh, how it must have felt. I felt like that myself. When you come in the presence of God and the washing of the water of the Word. Now, when Paul wrote that there in Ephesians 5, he chose the word rhema instead of logos. The washing of the water by the rhema. You see, that left it so that men of God, when they stand and preach, you might have a certain need in your life. And there might not be a scripture in the Bible that addresses your particular thing. Many scriptures touch generalities. You know, they don't bring it down. But God would be able to send you a word, a rhema word, and you would know it was just for you. And that rhema word just washes you from your fear or your unbelief or your trauma or whatever it is that's holding you back. And all of a sudden, you just rise from that and you feel so clean and so washed. What's it make you want to do? Worship, of course. And let me give you the finale of this and then we'll pick it up. As the day grows closer, the groom does not know when he's going. The bride does not know when he's coming. It's only in the mind of the father. So the father will look at the house. The father has been checking up on the bride, hearing her progress. So he will see all things are ready. And the father will tell the son, go get your wife. He will then send the friend, his friend, friend of the bridegroom, and he will go out. And the friend of the bridegroom will have someone who goes in front of him, blowing the ram's horn. And when the bride hears the sound of the trumpet, praise God. You imagine she might need one more touch up of a bass. Praise God. One more little finale. Just one more just to check and make sure. No spots, no wrinkles. My, how in the world could you stay totally, completely clothed in a wedding dress and not have wrinkles on it? You see, for some of you, your concept is you put the wedding dress on when we have church only. You live in it. You sleep in it. You work in it. You go to church in it. You go to Walmart in it. You get up every day in it. You go to bed at night. 
That's the spiritual cause of the word that we're dressed in. It's not something you put on on Sunday morning and you put on this religious something. We're bound to have wrinkles. We're bound to have spots. Praise God. Thank God for spot remover. Clorox ain't got nothing on Jesus. Praise God. As the friend of the bridegroom foreran the coming of the groom, he comes with the groom's voice, and the groom will tell him, go get my bride ready. And the shofar begins to blow, and here he comes to the bride. Praise God. So a shout, a voice, a trumpet, a shout, a voice, and the bride is ready. Then in comes the bridegroom. And he snatches her away or steals her, one of the words is. So he goes in and steals her and takes her away to his father's house. Don't reject your water, friends. Don't reject your baths. Don't get mad at me either. If God called me to be part of the one of the God, but brother, don't you get so much soap in my eyes? Apparently you need some soap in your eyes. Some of your brothers need soap in your eyes from some of the stuff you're looking at on them phones. Some of you might need your mouth washed out with soap a little bit too. You might need your ears washed out or your hands washed. Praise God. I'm glad for soap and water. Thank God. Thank God. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray today that you would pull each of us up in in your arms. To God, I'm so grateful today for the washing of the water by the Word. Father, I pray that you'd help every man, woman, boy, and girl here. Lord, may we realize what a privilege and what an honor, but yet what a responsibility has been given to us with this great message. It's not just something we hoop and holler and shout about. Praise God. God sent a message. But if we don't do it, it'll be to our condemnation. Lord, I'm just like these people here. My flesh don't rejoice and I get preached on. But really down in my soul, I'm so happy. I'm so happy when the light is brought on something that I need to make right. It's water that washes me and sets me free again. Lord, I couldn't tell you how many times my hands and my feet have had to been washed, and if I live another month or two or five years or whatever more, no doubt I will be again. But I'm just so grateful, Lord God, that we have it. Oh, my. I'm so thankful, Lord, that if I go out and do a little bit out in the yard or something or another, and I could go into my basement there, and I've got some soap sitting down there, I'm able to hit that little faucet and wash my hands. I just got a little bit of rock dust on my hands or a little bit of mulch or maybe a little bit of dirt because I was sent out a plant or something. So I don't really need to take a bath or a shower, but my hands sure are dirty because I know my little clean wife sure wouldn't want me putting my dirty black paw in her little soft, gentle white hand. She'd much rather it be clean. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, if I've ever come into your presence with my little old dirty paw, my little old dirty feet. 
and I've wanted to have fellowship with you. Forgive me, Lord. Lord God, help me to wash before I worship. Praise God. Help us, Lord Jesus, to realize what an awesome responsibility is given to us here at this place we call Happy Valley Church of Jesus Christ. May we enter into our mikvah. We don't come with our mother. We don't come with our father. But we come as an individual. Sanctify. Wash. Cleanse us, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many wants to be washed? Don't you appreciate it? Don't you appreciate it, saints? Preachers too, Brother Donnie? Preachers, of course. When I first come to the message and I started listening to tapes, and I hear Brother Bram say, Lord, forgive us of our sins. I thought, what in the world him being a preacher say that for? Because I was a proud Pentecostal. You didn't sin. Showed my ignorance. But God washed me from my ignorance. Praise God. Aren't you glad he's still washing you today? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Maybe some of you are standing here and you're really, the Lord has brought something to your heart, to your memory or your conscience that you need to be washed from. Let me just tell you, there ain't no better place and you do not have to wait another minute. You priest of God, walk up to the laver and put your foot by his foot. I'm not worthy. Sure, you're not worthy. But put your hand down under that flow of water and recognize he put his hand on a cross so you could put your hand under a spigot that would wash you clean. He let them drive nails into his hands and feet so you could put your defiled foot under the washing of the water by the word. And you go out here and work every day and have to work with sinners and awful people. They may make you aggravated and you may lose your temper or whatever more. You ain't lost. You just need to put your mouth under that spigot. Put your attitude under that spigot. Praise God. Don't you understand, Christians, what God wants your home to be? God wants your home to be a little bit of heaven on earth. You've got a godly wife there. She washes. You've got godly children and they wash. You've got that papa that comes in at night and he washes. Ma, what a place of communion and fellowship. Where mama and daddy and children can love God, serve him with all their heart, washed. Or oh, they'll go out in the world, no doubt they'll see things and hear things and they may have to repent again tomorrow. They may have to come back together and be cleansed again. But thank God, this great vat of water never runs out. I've been washing at it all of my Christian life. Praise God. Amen. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. We believe we've been washed now, Father. Now we want to worship. We bless your name, Lord God. Anybody want to raise your hands with me? Remember Paul said, lifting up holy hands. Your hands used to wasn't holy. But how are they holy now? You got them washed. Washed all the dirt off of them. All the filth. They used to hold 
bottles of beer and whiskey and cigarettes and marijuana and all kinds of old filthy stuff. But you got them washed. Now you can raise them clean hands up in the presence of Almighty God. And it's almost like lightning rod when you raise it up and His power goes to trickle down that hand of yours and down that arm and it comes down into your heart. It goes to charge in that heart and all of a sudden it squeezes your heart and tears of joy comes out of them eyes. Praise God, because you're washed, you're clean, rapture ready. Friends, I ain't preaching a message that maybe might get us in. We're hoping, possibly, no. But if you walk out of this, today, this service today and your heart is right with God, and you get killed in a car accident, you will move straight from this place of sin right into the presence of Almighty God. We're not wanting some sort of something out of there that just helps us along in life and gives us a little bit of mind over matter. I need power over sin, not mind over matter. I want to preach a gospel and believe a gospel that I can live and be ready any hour, any hour, and you the same way. Praise God. Wash us, sweet Jesus. Lord, look at our wedding garments here today. Do you see a dark spot? Maybe it's just a yellow spot of the world. Maybe it's not totally black or gray, but it's just a, an iffy something. Lord Jesus, maybe we don't have spots, but we've got wrinkles from sitting down, not really doing much. Take the iron of the Holy Ghost, as it were. May you steam out all of our laziness, Lord. Praise God. Oh, Lord God, we worship you today, Jesus. Let's sing something here. Can we just worship? Can we have just a few minutes before we go? Just, just a little bit of time before we leave. You're washed. You're clean. Oh, my. Now let's enter into the bride's chamber. You see, he will never intrude on you and I. He's a gentleman. But he wants to fellowship with us. Why don't you go into your room and set yourself down on the sofa, as it were, and stretch out the banner over you. And the banner over you is called love. And invite him, Lord Jesus, come in and have fellowship with me. I've made supper for you. Let's have supper together. My mouth is washed, my attitude is washed, my ears are washed, my hands, my feet. Come in, Lord Jesus. Praise be to God. Can't you just see him pulling back the curtains as his blessed presence parts the entry of the veil and walks into your room? There you are. As he looks at you and he says, Oh, my beloved, my spouse, my precious one. He moves toward the sofa where you are. He takes you by the hand, kisses you on the hand as it were, and he sits down on the couch by you. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first to the last. He sets his eyes on you, those eyes that look from eternity down through time. 
and saw you standing here today in this building, and he locks his eyes on you, and you feel like you're going to melt in his presence. Don't become so mesmerized that you can't talk to him. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you say, I love you. I love you, my Lord. I love you. You're my everything. I love you with all of my heart. I was so lost, but you found me. I was so wretched and vile, but you called me to yourself and you washed me. Now I'm yours. I am your sanctified wife. I bless your name. Praise be to God. I wish somebody would help me love him. Just close your eyes, would you? Let's just forget what you got planned for lunch and what you're going to do after church today. I know it's a nice, beautiful day out there, but it ain't near as beautiful as it is on the inside right now. Don't you understand where we are? We're in the great August courts of Jehovah Adonai. He's come down, not in the mountain as it was, but he's come down in this church building this morning. And he's sitting on the love seat. Do you mind if he puts his arm around you and says, my fair one, come away. Let us take our fill of love. The springs come. The sound of the turtle is in the land. Oh, blessed be the Lord God. Come, my fair one, my undefiled. I love you before the foundation of the world. And you with clean, sanctified lips can answer back to him, Great Adonai, my Savior, Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah Shaddai, Jehovah El Kankanai. I bless your name. I worship you. I adore you. My creator, my savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I worship you, Lord God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed Lord God, we worship you today, Father. Thank you for this presence, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, Jesus, we bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. As I come into your presence Past the gates of praise Into your sanctuary Till we're standing face to face I look upon your countenance I see the glory of your grace I can only bow down and say you are awesome in this place 
awesome in this place Abba Father You are worthy of all praise To you our lives we raise You are awesome in this place My God You are awesome in this place Mighty God You are awesome in this place the gates of praise into the sanctuary to stand and face to face I look upon your countenance I see the fullness of your grace I can only bow down and say
table fine linen clean and white is granted to her she's washed in the blood of God's own son with righteousness that's not our own we stand just before his throne where we'll reign with our Lord forevermore let's see you before we go the evening light has come God is making preparation we're the shadow church today. What an incredible journey we have just taken. Do you appreciate the word of the Lord? God bless you. Service Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. Let's just go and think about what we've heard today. The rest of this. This is the best place you're going to be all day long. May God bless you as you're dismissed. Service Wednesday night, the Lord willing. Play that, brethren, if you will. Fine linen, clean and white is granted to her she's been washed in the blood of god's own son with a righteousness that's not our